0: So, I just want, I felt as we were doing Gone Fishing, couldn't resist the opportunity for a little bit of visual aid here. I have no idea how this actually works. It's Jaden's, not mine. But does it not? It, it feels like, oh, I think I'm supposed to hold it that way around, and ooh, I don't know. But anyway, don't, don't break it. He hasn't used it for years, it's fine. But I wanted to give you a little illustration of my past attempts at evangelism, at telling people about Jesus. Because you see, the way it's kind of worked for me is I, I've kind of kicked back in my chair, like you do. And on the end of my line, I've, I've put these tasty little tidbits. So I'll, I'll put things like, um, oh, had a great time at church on Sunday. <laughs> or um, my personal favorite, Jesus loves you. And I, I would sort of throw out these little snippets and hope that somebody would catch on to the end and then I could... Reel them in. But you see, that doesn't always work. Sometimes, sometimes it works. But actually, that's not really how it works. So I'm just going to collapse this a moment before I break it. Yeah, it's got a very sharp hook on the end. So
1: I'll.
0: It's supposed to be like that. It's to be like that so I wouldn't know. Oh, clever! Okay. So, because the thing is, people are not simply individuals, and that's what I wanted to focus in on today, which is why I have my ball of wool. because if we take an individual, let's, let's say we're fishing for John here, okay, nice catch. L- little, nice, clever, <laughs> I was going to get him to do a fish impression for us, but I'm guessing that might spoil. See, the thing is, John, who I'm trying to catch on my line, is actually quite attached to his mother and father-in-law, right, so, you see. Right. So he's, he's got, he's got an attachment there. And then, hopefully to his, his wife as well. <laughs> <laughs> his mother and father-in-law came first. Yeah. It, it just he's happened. Not daft, is he? Oh, he's not stupid. He's not, this is why the marriage has lasted yeah, so well. <laughs> it's very important lesson there, people. And then, excellent. And then, he's, he's got, hang on, he's got a sister-in-law over the back there. Who can't Who's doing her best. And, and then, the, and back to me, and the sister-in-law, well, keep the yeah, keep that bit, and back to me, Woo. we nearly caught Mike up in the family relationship there. And, and the sister-in-law has got a, a husband, so that's a, a brother. A brother. A brother Do we not put two in-laws? I always get confused with that one. Ready? <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Well played, well played.
0: You picked a good seat there today, Mike. Hang on. Oh, he's, now, this is a man who knows how to do this. He's preparing the ball for throwing. <laughs> Nicely done. So there we go. Let's just tie that around here. There we go. Um, and then I gather, apparently, he... Oh, hang on. He's got some, he's got some nieces. No, not nieces. No, no, children.
1: Nieces to children.
0: Nieces to James, but children to I got all confused about the family dynamic there. Okay, you ready? No, you, you've got to live up to James's standards here, guys. Okay, just saying. Yay! taking Mike's head out on the way. So he's he's got some daughters over there. Oh, hang on, hang on. Ah! Oh, yeah, we forgot the nephew while we were over that side, weren't we? Hang on. We've only got one of the nephews, but that one will do. Ready, Dan? You're going to catch. You're ready. Ready? Whoa, nice catch, Dan. So... I don't know if you're kind of getting the picture here. <laughs> Can I send it back again? <laughs> it's all in the preparation for the throw people. Well thrown, Dan. There we go. So, so people are caught up. Other what? Other do- no, I did them both in one go. They are one. Okay.
1: And we could be here
0: all morning, actually throwing out because then he's got friendships. So let's not get started on friendships because then we're <laughs> going to. But people are caught up in these networks of families and friends. And actually, if John is being pulled by this one thread into faith, actually there's a whole bunch of other forces pulling this way, that way. Maybe he's pulling them with him. Maybe there she's pulling back a bit over there. It gets complicated. It is not as simple as one person hearing about Jesus just coming to faith. There's a whole network of family involved. So it's not ever about an individual. And similarly, when we're reaching out to someone, we're not doing that on our own either. There will be other people around who are also part of this picture. So whilst I get on with my sermon, you guys can just sort that lot out and tidy it up. <laughs> I want it neatly rolled again, please. There's the ball. Don't be able to enjoy. So, so what we're looking in on today then is this idea of family evangelism. Looking rather than just thinking about putting out tasty tidbits for an individual, thinking about people as part of a family. And just to clarify, before any of you switch off, because you think, well, hang on. I'm not a parent or a child, that I'm a single person on my own. By family, we're broadening that in terms of community. Household is one of the examples we look at. So we're all part of a family of some description. So what we're going to do is we are going to look at, if the PowerPoint will catch up. Oh, lovely. Oh, it worked, it worked. There we go. Okay. We're going to look at three different accounts from the Bible of individuals coming to faith as part of a dynamic of their wider family. So we're going to look at the story of Timothy, Cornelius, and a Roman jailer. And what we're just going to look at is to see, okay, from these stories, what can we take from it? Is there anything we can learn? Is there anything we can challenge ourselves on? So let's start off with Timothy. And Tony's actually already read that passage for us this morning, but we'll flick to it again. It's in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. That's not 10, just click for me when I give you the nod. Thank you. There's Timothy gone. Am I the only one who is singing the songs of the New Testament in my head now in order to find Oh, I know it. You've confused me now. I know a different song. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. and Timothy one, Timothy two, Titus, and Hebrews. Here he is. I found him. Okay. So, two Timothy, verses one one to seven. It's just a very brief mention at the beginning, but I think we can get something from it. So, it's the passage that Tony read earlier. It says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. setting out, he's becoming a leader in the early church. And Paul is very aware that Timothy comes from a faith-filled family. He says, first his grandmother, Lois, and then his mother, Eunice. Now, when we talk about evangelism in church, when we talk about evangelism, that's sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus so they come to faith too. I think we very easily immediately think of it as something we do outside the church, that we go out to other people. And yeah, that's really important. But let's not forget the responsibility that we have for helping people come to faith within the church, the young people within our church. Because actually, we almost certainly, in our church at any one time, will have young people who are not yet Christians, who have not yet made that decision to be a Christian. And that's an important thing. Particularly with our young people. It's statistically it's shown that the vast majority of people who become Christians do so during their teenage years. It's a really key time. And so if we've got teenagers in our church, which we have, that's a really important thing. Poor Mel Blesser is trying to untangle my will. I really don't mind if I just have to chop a bit off, okay? It, it was like a one pound from QD ball of wallets. It's, it's That's fine. If, if that's helping you, Mal, that's fine. That's good. So, the thing that I ponder we, we don't hear much about, you know, we know Timothy's got this mother, Eunice, and this grandmother, Lois, who clearly, you know, were faith filled, and this is part of how he's grown up. We don't know much more than that, but I just wonder if we try to imagine his story. What if. His grandmother hadn't been a woman of faith. I wonder how his story might have been different if it was only his mother who was filled with faith. Would his story have played out any differently? Because I think actually that grandmother role was probably really important in helping him to come to faith. You see... Children need adults other than their mums and dads in their lives to help them, to model faith to them. It's really, really important. It's not the responsibility of parents alone to raise children knowing about Jesus, knowing about faith, having that relationship with God. They need grandparents to offer wisdom and guidance to them. Because can I be honest with you, when you're growing up, probably the last person you're going to listen to for wisdom and guidance is your mother. Okay? I, I wish that I could use as my illustration for this my own children. However, actually, I'm going to use me because I'm probably worse than my kids were. I still, okay, I, I turn 40 this month, or next month, rather. We're not in there. I know. I know. I turn 40. And yet, at 40 years old, a mother myself, I still, if I know that my mum wants me to do something one way, I will deliberately, on principle, do it another way. I'm 40 years old, and I still do that for no other reason than I want it to be my decision, because I am independent. The sad truth is, though, that whilst I am... I, I beg to differ on her always being right, Mel. I beg to differ, but... Yours is always right, is she? Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, It's really irritating, that, isn't it? Yeah, you have my sympathy. It's tough growing up with a mother who's always right. My children don't have that problem. Much easier for them. But you see, the sad thing is that whilst I am stubbornly declaring my independence by doing things a different way to my mother, I don't actually let her know. Because I don't, I'm not brave enough to actually say to her, "No, I'm doing different to you." I hope she's not going to listen to this on the podcast. By the way, you're, you're going to email her and tell her, are you? I don't. I'm not brave enough to let her. So I do it secretly. I will do it my own way. It's, it's, it's just me declaring to myself my independence, you know. And anyone else relating to this, or is this just? me? Yeah, no, a few. nods. It's not just me then. Okay, so. Young people particularly, if I am 40 years old and still you know, have a bit of an attitude problem with my mother, how much more do young people need other adults in their life who aren't their mum or their dad, who can offer them wisdom and guidance as they make decisions in life, as they go through tough times? We have a responsibility there, guys, to be those grandparents for the young people. They need grandparents as well to model godly living for them. Because, again, confession time. I'm sure all of the other parents in the room are brilliant at modeling godly living. However, my children live with me 24-7. I don't always do the best job of modeling godly living. Sometimes, actually, I do quite a poor job of it. And they see that. And if I were the only representative that they saw of a woman of faith, that's not a very good representation for them. I am not, you know, giving Christ a great reputation there by just my example. So they need other adults who they can see, who they're close enough to see the reality of how they're actually living, to be that godly example, that godly role model to them. So that actually when their parents have let them down, that's okay. There's other people they look and say, okay. This is how it works with God. This is how we live for God. And perhaps most importantly, they need grandparents to show them unconditional love. Now, I know as parents, we would show our children unconditional love, absolutely. But for the mind of a young person, quite frankly, if they, they, your mum or your dad, they are required to love you. And so, in a sense, you say, well, of course you're going to say you love me because you're my mum. You have to. But actually, someone who's that little bit more distant to you, if they show you unconditional love, they don't have to. They're choosing to. That really says something. That's really modeling God's love. They don't have to love you, but they do. So that, that grandparent role is really, really important in terms of family evangelism, in terms of how we raise our young people within the church. So can we just take a moment? If you are a grandparent here today, can you just stand up for me? If you're a grandparent. So this worrying moment here. (laughs) Something you need to share with us buddy. So we want to honor you guys for what you do in being a grandparent to the young people in your family. But can I actually now get everyone in the room to stand up? This is not a prophetic word, folks, so do not fear. Because actually, not everyone has Christian grandparents. Shock horror. There are young people growing up in our community without Christian grandparents. And so actually, you have a responsibility to be a grandparent, or we'll go with aunt or uncle if you feel more comfortable with the age dynamic of that, to those young people. Each and every one of us, the the church is described as the family of God. We all have a responsibility. So think for yourself today, who are you a grandparent to? Even the young people, I know we've got some of the youth in here with us, even you young people, who are you The the auntie or uncle, too, will not call you grandparents yet because that's a bit freaky. We have younger people in our church than you who you could. Yeah, brothers and sisters, older siblings. Let's put it that way. Sorry? Cousins. Cousins. Literal cousins in some cases. Who are you playing that role for? Because it is really, really important. Okay? Right, sit yourselves down. The other thing, before we move on to the next next story we're going to look at, just to be aware of within that, what's happening with Timothy here? So he's grown up in faith with his grandmother and his mother, led by them. But actually, Timothy is now stepping out himself in that significant role in the church. And that's something we have to be bearing in mind. If we are raising young men and women of God amongst us, We have to give space for them to grow. It would be very easy to think, well, actually, surely Eunice and Lois should be the ones who are going off and doing this stuff Timothy's about to do, because they're older. They've been around longer. But no, it's Timothy who's been given this call. So bear in mind, we need to give space for these young people to grow into whatever God's calling them to do. Because actually, when young people see a place where they are actually valued, not in a Nice, oh, yes, you're very precious Wade. but then actually, hey, you're really good at this. Come and be part of this. Come and do this. Come and lead this. That gives them that sense of purpose in the community, and they then want to be part of that. So that's an important thing to bear in mind. So that's Timothy. I, I summed that up as make room in the boat for all generations. We're, we're having a bit of a boat analogy today, folks, as we're fishing. Right, we're moving on then. Thank you, Helen. To the story of Cornelius, which is found in Acts chapter ten. So, Cornelius, let me just read you the first little bit. It's quite a long passage, this one, but it, it says at the beginning of Acts chapter ten, there's a man named called, called start that one again. There's a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God, was always helping people in need, and had the habit of prayer. So this guy Cornelius isn't Jewish. Okay, he's, he's an outsider, if you like, but he is a good man. He's trying to help people in need. He tries to live worshipfully before God, but he's not Jewish and he's not yet Christian okay, he hasn't actually heard about Jesus yet, but he's actively looking, he's actively seeking. So if we read on the passage, and as it's quite long, I'm I'm going to read it to you from the message version, because that just flows a bit easier, because it is quite long. So this is Cornelius. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius, Cornelius, Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. Reasonable response. Then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you are to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, the one everyone calls Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard he went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and then sent them off to joppa the next day as the three travelers were approaching the town peter went out on the balcony to pray it was about noon peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch i love just as i love that about peter he's gone up to pray He's real. I can relate to that. While lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Can't relate to that one. He saw the skies open up, something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes as its four corners settled on the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. Then a voice came, Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter said, Oh, no, Lord. I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. So Jews had very particular rules as God's people about what meats they could and couldn't eat. And this blanket is presenting all kinds of stuff that is just a no-no. You do not eat that as a Jew. And yet this angel is saying, hey, eat this naughty stuff. This happened. The voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. They called in, asking if there was a Simon, also called Peter, staying there. Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them. So the spirit whispered to him, Three men are knocking at the door, looking for you. Get down there and go with them don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? And so they explain and off he goes with them. This is the next morning. So he went with his friends. A day later, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had his relatives and close friends waiting with him. So this isn't just Cornelius. He's brought all of his family, all of his friends together to hear this. The minute Peter came through the door, Cornelius was up on his feet greeting him and then down on his face worshipping him. Peter pulled him up and said, none of that. I'm a man and only a man, no different from you. Talking things over, they went on into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. Peter addressed them, you know, I'm sure this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. Visit and relax with people of another race. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. That's what the blanket thing was about. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked. And so Cornelius explains the vision he's had and Peter explains about Jesus and Cornelius and everyone in his household believes. So what can we learn from that story? Well, this event, Cornelius, who wasn't Jewish, he was what they'd call a Gentile, comes to faith, he and all of his Gentile household. And at this stage in the development of the early church, that's quite a new thing. This is why Peter had this vision Of the blanket, because actually, up till then, God's people were the Jews and they had all of the Jewish laws to follow. That was their way of doing things. And then all of these non Jews started coming into the church. Now, if you've just got one or two coming in, okay, fair enough. They would just get in line with the program. This is how we do things. Everyone has to be circumcised. Okay, cool. Um, We don't eat these meats. Yeah, no problem. And they'd get with the program. They would assimilate to that Jewish culture. But when you've got a whole family, a whole household coming into the church who aren't circumcised, eat all sorts of different stuff, it causes problems. It caused problems in the church. there Because there then became this big question of, well, all of these non-Jews who are becoming Christians should they be following all of our Jewish laws? And the church leaders at the time had to have this big council to, to thrash around, right? Okay, well, what, what laws do they need to keep? Because if they're not actually Jewish, do they have to keep the Jewish laws? What are the bits of the Jewish laws that actually, yes, as a Christian matter? And what are the ones that we can say, well, no, actually, that it doesn't apply to you because you're not Jewish? And where, where do we draw the line? And eventually, they did. They, they thrashed it out, and they figured out, okay, they don't, the men will be relieved to know they didn't have to be circumcised and some other stuff along the way. But I think this is something we need to consider. You know, if when, when we're reaching out to people, we're sharing faith with them, we want them to know Jesus and we want them to bring their family. But they may come from a different culture to us. Now, when I use that term culture, I'm not necessarily talking about race there at all. So, Of those of us here, how many of us grew up in a church setting, grew up in a church-going family? So that's the vast majority of us, okay? So we have grown up with church culture. What people do at church, how you behave at church, is just normal to us, okay? To someone, a family that hasn't grown up, so a family that's never been Christian... Those church culture things are completely alien to them. And so we have a challenge to consider what things about how we are are actually things that are, this is what the Bible says, this is the Christian way of doing things, this is how we should be, and what things are actually just our culture. And actually the Bible doesn't say we have to be this way. It's just how we've always done it. Because when new people are coming in, if there's a lot of new people coming in, there's going to be a bit of friction there with that clash of cultures. And so we perhaps have to have those difficult conversations over, where is the line? What are we saying? Well, actually, yeah, you can do things this way. Or, no, that one actually has to stay the same. We've got to be willing to address that. Just Just to give you one example, I have sense of that, and I, I, I hope i 'm using a, something David did as an example, so do not take this as a, an insult or anything. At, at the um, EGM at the end when we were going to pray, you started off praying the grace a fantastic it 's a biblical thing it's great. Some of our young people had never heard that before it was completely new to them, so all of us who 've been in church and settings where we 've done that merrily joined in, and the young people were going. I I mean, so I think Charlotte and Kezia were, I think it was behind Mel and Kathy, and you did the turning round to look at them thing as you prayed, and they went, why are they looking at me? They didn't get it. And it's not that there was anything wrong in doing that, you know, it was a really good thing to do. But they didn't get that, because they hadn't met that before, yeah? So it's something. Exactly. But, you know, so it, and so is that addressing a okay, case? So it's not that it's wrong to do that. And actually, that is a biblical thing, the grace. It comes straight from the Bible, doesn't it? But there was perhaps a, a culture difference that the, us adults haven't really thought of. You know, I merrily chimed in because I've done it before. And you suddenly think, oh, they didn't know that. That was something new for them. So it's great. Hopefully now they've experienced that. Next time, you guys will be word perfect, Yeah. Good, jolly good, jolly good. So we need to be aware of these things. Okay, finally, how are we doing on time? Oh, goodness me, look at the time. Right, we're going to be quick on this one. The jailer. I'll tell you this story quickly in words rather than reading it from the Bible. So basically, um, you've got Paul and Silas, I think it is, that they have been in prison, they are in jail, okay? It's night time and... The passage says, in jail, obviously as you do, they've been praying and worshipping God. And all of the other prisoners have been listening to them, wondering, ooh, weirdos. And the jailer himself is asleep. So there they are, praying, worshipping God, setting a wonderful example, and the jailer is asleep. Have, have you ever had people, you're trying to reach are a bit like that, you're trying to set this example, it feels like they're just asleep, they're, they're not listening, they're not interested, and then, suddenly, this dramatic thing happens. It's like there's an earthquake, and the, the doors of the jail spring open. The jailer, at this point, wakes up, finally. Whoa, what's happened? He assumes that all of the prisoners must have escaped. But actually, Paul and Silas say, no, 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 it's, it's okay, we're still here. And his response at this amazing event is to go, wow this God is really powerful. That This is the real deal. I, I need to find out about this God. And so he asks them about Jesus. What must I do to be saved, he says. And then he calls his family. He says, hey, come and meet these people. And they, they take them to meet together. They explain the gospel. And the jailer and his family all believe. So sometimes it takes something big and dramatic like that, a, a miraculous show of God's power, to wake people up to hear Jesus. Now, I want us to give some thought to that very briefly. If you just click for me, Helen, there should be a video that starts to play on the next slide. So, for those who haven't come across this one, it's a few years back now, there was this big story in Christian circles that a church in the state, Speckle Church, during their worship had what they called a glory cloud appear in the air during worship. It was like this cloud of glitter that sort of floated up and everyone was amazed. Now, as I tell you that about this amazing, awesome thing that happened in this church in the States, I wonder what your response to that is. Is your mind going, wow, God's amazing. Or are you going, hmm. Well, what do we think? Is, is this an amazing work of God's power? Or are you being sceptical? Probably mixed responses. Sceptical. Yeah, we've got some sceptics, some people who are Oh, Okay, do you want to just click now because I've kind of got the general idea. It goes on. So, when we hear of something miraculous, some amazing things that's happened, our human response often is... Maybe those guys are just a little bit gullible, perhaps, actually. Do you know, maybe it was just, an, and there's, there's been a conversations conversation on the internet about, oh, their air conditioning system had glitter put in it. Also, you know, there's, there's all of these debates over, was this God or was it not? And seeing God's miraculous power, yes, can be something that just turns an unbeliever immediately to, wow, this is God, he is powerful, I can't do anything but believe. But when we hear it second-hand, like I've done with you there, it's kind of, hmm, is it really? Yeah? Human nature is to be a bit skeptical. And so I think the challenge we can take there is that actually to let God's displays of amazing power have an impact in people's lives, we've got to give them the chance to see it firsthand. Telling people, oh, this friend of mine, her great auntie's niece was really sick with, I don't know, she'd she'd had her leg amputated. And then the leg grew back again when we prayed for them. Probably is going to just make them think you're a little bit weird, if we're honest, okay? But if you have allowed them to walk a journey with you where you've been real about, this is my battle this is the miracle I need from God, this is the power that I need from God, and they've seen God's power at work in you, someone they know, that is going to have an impact. That is real. Yeah? And so the one challenge I take from that is actually, are we brave enough to let people walk that journey with us? Are we brave enough perhaps to let them come into that journey In the early stages, before we've seen the power of God at work yet, in faith that actually they will see that journey come to completion when God does move in power. That's our challenge there. So, to summarise then, there's kind of three things we've taken. They're all slightly different. That challenge, make room in the boat for all generations, are we being grandparents or aunts or uncles, to the young people in our community. Are we needing to face that challenge of, hmm, what's church culture and what's actually what the Bible teaches? Do I need to start asking myself, where are those lines happening so that we can embrace people coming in who perhaps aren't used to our culture? Or perhaps for us, the challenge is actually, will I be brave enough to let somebody in on that journey, to let them ride those tough waves with me, so that they can see firsthand the power of God at work in someone's life. So those are the challenges I want to leave you with there. But actually, there's another challenge we have for you today that, and I've already gone one minute over time, Clara. So in negative one minute, can you come and explain your challenge for us, please? Have we got the, where's the handheld mic gone? Has someone stolen it?
1: So our challenge is, so from last week and this week and the weeks we've been praying and fasting, so last week Tim challenged us all into action and we have some invites to our Easter Service that's happening. So, our challenge is for you to take one, probably two, looking at the numbers, home with you, and those special people that have been on your hearts over the few weeks of us being fasting to invite them to the Easter service. I know for some of you this is really scary, but the daffodils are already starting to open, so you've got a limited time to do this. So you've got to do it today or <laughs> earliest tomorrow or else it's too late. So um, Jesus does say, go, go into the highways and invite people to the feast. Mm-hmm. The feast is ready. Our Sunday service is going to be amazing, ready. So I'm going to stand at the back, and you cannot leave until I've thrown <laughs> these in your pocket. So you've got no, no excuse. If you haven't got any family, neighbors... Or someone on the street outside, just get rid of them, but bless people with them. They've got to go. Brilliant.
0: Thank you, Clara. So there's a challenge for you guys. Who knows what giving away those flowers might start in terms of conversation, where that might grow to. So that's the challenges we're leaving for. I'm just going to close in prayer because we are over time. And then we can all head home. Father God, thank you that we don't stand as individuals, but we stand as part of family, Lord. Family is so important. We need people around us. And Father, as, as we seek to share something of you with the people we meet, with the people in our lives, help us to recognize the challenge that is there of being part of family, of the different people who are involved, of the different people who we influence, and the different influences they are under. Father, help us to meet that challenge, to, to be a, a grandparent figure to the younger people in our community. <coughs> Father, help us to be ready to, to face those challenges of, of new people who are unfamiliar with our way of doing things, to welcome them, and to have those difficult conversations about how we go about doing things. And, Father, give us the courage to be brave and share our real journey with others so that they can see how you are really at work in our lives. And give us courage as well, Lord, as we take these flowers to give away. Direct us, Father, as to who we should give those to. And we pray, Lord, that your blessing would go with each and every bunch of flowers. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Really good to have you here. Um, We will see you next week as usual. Enjoy giving away your flowers.